Ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 78 of Let's Go Racing with David Stark, presented by Ticket Spotter, Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we are going to be joined by the one and only Jeremy Mayfield, and we are going to open up with a fascinating conversation with Jeremy Mayfield when he stops by in just a little while from right now. Plus, we will have our news and notes, as well as our Ask David segment at the end of the show. Before we get to any of that, though, as we mentioned, today's show presented by Ticket Spotter. Ticket Spotter came aboard as the primary sponsor this year on David's 08 Ford Mustang, and we want to tell you a little bit more about what they do. Ticket Spotter is a national ticket resale marketplace with tickets to over 125,000 live events, including NASCAR and other forms of motorsports. Fans who get tickets to every NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck Race Throughout the season, for the best deals on tickets, visit TicketSmarter.com to get your tickets today. That's TicketSmarter.com. David Starr joins us right now. David, good to uh, be back in the saddle again. You know, you've been telling us all year long, Kevin Harvick is going to get into victory lane. And since we last spoke to you on this show, he's been there not once, but twice. Kevin Harvick, back-to-back wins, and now a championship contender. You've been calling it all year, finally came to fruition. Well, I mean, you know, Stuart Haas Racing, you know, they, they've been struggling over the last, I don't know, year and a half, but you just knew it. You could see it week in and week out that Kevin's team, they were getting better and better. They had a lot of bat luck and in the wrong place at the wrong time, but we're in the top five towards the end of the races. And uh, you just knew that organization was going to gonna really start coming to the front. You could see it. So I kept counting on Kevin Harvick, Kevin Harvick, and man, you know, for him to win at uh, Michigan and then back it up with the win at Richmond this past weekend, you know, is there such thing as something called momentum? And uh, I think uh, I think you're looking at uh, Stuart Haas Racing, Kevin Harvick, going to be a, a big championship uh, contender this year. Dominic Aragon from the RacingExperts.com joins us as well. Dom, there, there's something in sports we call getting hot at the right time. And I think Kevin Harvick is doing exactly just that. He and Rodney Childress have something dialed up really good right now. And Stuart Haas coming along and, and the Ford program as a whole coming along right now. And I think the message has been clear since the beginning. Ken Har- Kevin Harvick said that they won in Michigan. Those who doubted us don't know us. They haven't changed anything over the last two years. Their preparation's been the same, but they've been able to go on this really big hot streak in the last two weeks. Guys, they're peaking at the right time. Kevin Harvick and the Ford team look very dangerous as we get close to the playoffs. So, speaking of the playoffs and the playoff picture, two races to go, 15 spots uh, taken. That could change, uh, but Watkins Glen and Daytona, the next two races on tap. David, what an opportunity. Uh, Both wild card races that anyone can go out there and win the next two weeks. Uh, and the way the parody's been all year, we very well could see somebody that hasn't been into victory lane this year punching their ticket to the playoff in the next couple of weeks. Man, I think it's exciting for our sport, for the NASCAR Cup Series series right now with the parody we have and 15 different winners in 2022 so far. We got two races to go, like you said. It'd be cool to have 16, 17 winners in a season and to figure out that mess you know what I mean how's that going to work so uh 
I'm excited. I, I hope it happens, and I don't think it's ever ha happened in history. And uh, if it can happen, hopefully it'll happen 2022, and we'll see. Uh, you know, it's confusing. How does it work when you got 17 different winners? You know, how does it all work? So I hope that comes down to that, and uh, it just makes it more exciting. And there, there's a lot of hype about what's going on in the Cup Series right now. Dominic, before we bring in Jeremy, uh, I'll, I'll make this point, too. Watching on TV every week, you know, they, they put up the playoff grid. And I was laughing. NBC now had to change up how they do the playoff grid now, showing the standings. Like, you're not necessarily locked in anymore. I mean, and in the case of Kurt Busch, it's been unfortunate this concussion that he's dealt with the last few weeks um, and not being cleared to run yet. If we have two more winners, Kurt Busch is going to be on the outside looking in. Absolutely. David, you said it. You want to see 17 winners. I'd be curious to see what the chaos is. I am here for the chaos too, David, and it could happen. Realistically, guys, we could see Truex win at Watkins Glen and then Ryan Blaney win at Daytona. Those two have won at those tracks before. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Kurt Busch would be the man on the outside. I, and I think Bob Parker said it best. I think he had asked Eric Almirola out of Pocono, would there be more chaos with 15 winners or 16 winners entering Daytona? And I believe Almirola had said 15 winners because then you'd have more possibilities of people being locked in, Drivers knowing that they win, they're in. Not necessarily the case with 16 winners entering Daytona, but we'll have to wait and see with Watkins Glen. We will. And speaking of getting in the playoff at the right time, <clears throat> you can't talk about that without mentioning our next guest, Dominic, as he was the first to ever do it back in 2004, getting what people called, uh, dubbed the Mayfield, uh, with what Pulling he was Mayfield. in uh, in <laughs> Richmond then. Yes, I think it's called pulling a Mayfield. Our next guest, I, I got to tell you guys, when I spoke to him a few weeks ago, talked to them for another project, asked him about coming on the show. He said, absolutely, he'd be interested in coming on. So we're talking about somebody who hails from Owensboro, Kentucky. And you talk about NASCAR royalty, the Green family, the wall trips. Jeremy Mayfield is also from this area and, and couldn't be more happy to have Jeremy on this week with us on Let's Go Racing. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to have you on with us. Man, thank you for having me. And uh, like you said, we've talked about it and finally made it happen. And uh, I'm not in the best conditions right now. I might have a little dark background, but we're on here anyway. So we made it. Hey, no problem. That's an excuse to have you back then, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be back for sure. <laughs> awesome. So, Jeremy, take us back to the beginning. One of our favorite things to ask our guests is that, that roots, those origins, origin story, Tell us where it all started for you and your love for motorsports and love for racing at what age that was and right. what inspired you to pursue the path of motorsports. Well, you know, I'm from a small town, Owensboro, Kentucky, and, uh, you know, racing was kind of big around there, but what is it wasn't as big as like it is North Carolina here, you know, but um, really I just started racing go-karts and then, you know, the walk trips came from there. Daryl kind of took off and led the way and um, myself and the Greens and all of us came, you know, followed later on, but uh, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do at a young age, you know, that's all I really thought about and, and kind of barely made it through school because I was always thinking about race cars and racing go-karts and all this stuff. So uh, I really had no choice but either make it or I've probably been stuck in Owensboro right now doing something that I don't you know, really want to do. So I've had a great career and, uh, uh, you know, done a lot of good things and, and just seen a lot of stuff, you know, throughout the career, throughout my career. And I just um, really can't take that away. You know, it's something that I'm really proud of, you know, you, you go back and look at all the things that you, you've got to see and all the racetracks you got to go to and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it all really stems back to, like I said, Daryl kind of leading the way for us and, and being inspired and, and, you know, just moving on. 
So, Jeremy, man, that's that's interesting to hear. Uh, man, when was it? When was it? You're probably growing up doing racing go-karts and winning and winning championships in go-karts. And was it your dad, your uncle? Who gave you that first shot at, uh, you know, at a, at a, you know, an asphalt track or dirt track, you know, kind of, kind of take us to that story. Did you, you know, was it late model stock right. cars and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, how did you get your big break into NASCAR? You know, who, who, who helped you do right. that? Did you get a phone call from somebody? T tell us that story. Man, it's a, it's a long story, but I'll tell you the best I can here as far as it goes. But, um, you know, I started off, uh, you know, racing go-karts and just kept moving up, you know, every class and then, I got about 15 years old and realized I wanted to race stock cars. You know, there was um, two racetracks around around Owensboro. There was like a dirt track at Wendy Hollow Speedway and then Kentucky Motor Speedway was asphalt. So um, I kind of just started off racing at a Kentucky Motor Speedway in a bomber class, which is like, I think I had a 72 Impala or something like that to start with. And and you could just put a, a row cage in it, you know, knock the headlights out of it and go racing. And that's what we did. And, um, you know, other thing from the junkyard, you know, you go go back there and buy all your stuff and go your parts come come from an old junkyard that you can find that's got old cars like that in it and um then just kept moving up you know moved up street stocks and then finally made it to late models and uh was kind of you know running good running great really you know as far as late model stuff goes and then uh just felt like that was you know as far as i was going to be able to get around there i needed to move on and, and do something different and i was able to meet um, a couple of people from uh nashville tennessee that really was my biggest break you know and uh, I met them by racing down there, and then uh, they were, you know, come out to be the Saber Brothers Trucking Company, who owned the, owned the, the, the company, whatever. And so I talked to them about coming down and just working in, in their shop as a fabricator, you know, you know, part time, full time, it didn't matter. Um, and they decided that they'd uh, pay me a little bit to come on down to Nashville, Tennessee, and I went down there and started working for them. And um, next thing I knew, I got an opportunity to drive one of their cars. You know, at the time they were running. Um, I think uh, Eddie Beerswell and Ken Reagan and all those guys were, were driving their cars for them. And, and I was working on their cars and, and was able to um, uh, talk them into letting me drive their car a couple of times in Nashville, Tennessee, because I'd been racing down there. And uh, next thing I know, I'm running ARCA and then full-time, you know, ARCA and then um, uh, started cup racing. And by the time we started cup racing, they, they were uh, kind of on a limited budget, you know, and they kind of would run, you know, just whatever races they wanted to run three or four years, five years, it didn't matter. And, I thought, heck, that's better than nothing, you know, go run five cup races. And so I started doing that. And then um, next thing I know, I got a call from uh, Kelly Arborough, and, which was one of my longtime heroes. And um, I'll never forget the day he called me. I, you know, he, he called and I was like, hello. And he said, hey, what is this Jeremy? I said, yeah. He says, Kale. I said, Kale who? He said, Kale Yarborough. And I'm like, no, nah, this ain't Kale Yarborough. I thought it was one of my buddies messing with me. You know, I said, it's a game be Kale Yarborough, you know. And uh, yeah, this is me. You know, and then I could tell it was him with a southern accent he had. And um, he said, you know, for me to come on out there and talk to him. And so I jumped on a plane and, and uh, flew out and talked to Kale. And it was, you know, from there on, it just uh, took off for me, really. You know, I, I went to drive for him for a while, a couple of years, and then uh, got the opportunity with uh, Kranifus Haas, uh, which later on was bought out by Roger Penske and turned into Penske Kranifus, and then uh, then Everett Hams, and, you know, just kind of takes off from there, you know. I think everybody knows the rest of what happened after that. But it was, uh, it was um, pretty, you know, pretty good journey. But really looking back, that all happened within a, like a 10 year period, you know, or six or eight year period. And so a lot of things in my life happened really fast. And, and, you know, it's like, a, I just made the right moves at the right time, you know, and that's what I tell a lot of people this day and time. It, you know, I never had the money to go buy a ride or go buy myself into something. So I was always, when opportunity, you know, approached me, I wasn't afraid to take it. And, and, you know, I was just able to, to really looks like I knew what I was doing. I didn't, you know, I just kind of, you know, when, <laughs> when Sandler's called me, I'm like, yeah, I'll go down and race for you, you know, and, 
that looked like a great move. And then, then when Kale called, I, you know, took that opportunity. And then, so it just looked like everything was perfect, but, uh, I got lucky along the way, I guess, you know, making the right decisions and being able to put myself in the right places at the right time. Man, well, man, what a great story. I remember the Saddlers well. They had great art yeah. cars and cup cars. And, uh, you know, to not be racing full time, you know, they don't take uh, Eddie Beerswell and Ken Reagan out of their cars to put somebody else that they didn't right. see that, you know, they saw something in you. And obviously, I remember you driving for them that, you know, back in the, I, I think it was might have been the middle 90s or whenever it was, late exactly. 90s. And, uh, Man, yep. you know, to get the attention of Kel Yarbrough, dude, that's that's amazing. And I, you right. know, you, you created opportunities, but man, your ability and your driving talent, you know, when you get phone calls from somebody like the great Kel Yarbrough, uh, he saw right. something. I mean, that guy's, I mean, superstar champion. I mean, legend. Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's amazing to to get a phone call from Kel Yarbrough, man. That's that's what's that's right. quite a story. Right. You know, my whole career was kind of like that. You know, I, like I was, drove for Kale and I was able to race with Daryl Waltrip, you know, and, and uh, Dale Earnhardt, you know, Richard Petty was around, you know, just Kyle Petty, all those guys, you know, um, and the list goes on. Mark Martin, you know, um, you know, Ricky Rudd, Terry Labonte, Bobby Labonte, just every, all those guys that really made the sport what it is. I was able to come in and they were all heroes of mine, you know, people I really looked up to. And uh, so to come in and be able to race with those guys was just just awesome. You know, and that, that was kind of the peak of the sport, I feel like, too. You know, those guys are really the pioneers of it. And, you know, starting with Kale and all those guys and Petties, but it worked up to where, you know, right at the peak of it was Dale Earnhardt and Walter and all those guys. So, you know, that, that's what's pretty cool when you look back and knowing that I was, uh, you know, being able to do that. And, and, you know, as a little kid watching the Daytona 500, you know, watching Kale and Donnie fight and right. you know, TV, and, you know, and, and just seeing all that stuff and just be a part of that, it's pretty cool. Man, I just – I remember you driving for Roger Penske and, and, and you know, you – you uh, and I think at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think Rusty Wallace was your teammate. But you know, from what I remember, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jeremy Mayfield comes over and drives for Roger Penske, and you start sh you started showing up your teammate, and your teammate didn't like it. And not only did you start beating your teammate consistently, I mean, I remember a race where you, uh, I mean, you you I think it was Pocono, Pennsylvania, and uh, I think you won the race but man you you earned it i mean you you right. raced intimidator like you like he races everybody and he told you uh, i think after the race was over he told you hey man you're number one but man right. it was uh, it was cool to see a guy like yourself that like you said earlier you didn't buy your way you created opportunities and your driving ability got you to the next level next level but man once you got there you was a winner, man, and I remember that like it was yesterday. You, uh, you, you, yeah. you put yourself on the map because uh, even though you raced with all these superstars and everybody that kind of made the sport what it is, I put you right there with them. Right. Well, I appreciate that. You know, and um, you know, I get asked that question a lot about Dale Earnhardt that day at Pocono, and um, it just seems like that. That's definitely the highlight of my career. Something that you know I'll never forget, obviously, and. Uh, and I know a lot of Earnhardt fans out there haven't forgotten either. They, they let me know quite a bit. You know, still <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I still get uh, people coming up and they're like, man, you, you know, you owe me a TV. And I'm like, what? This I swear this has happened like at least 50 times. I'm like, TV, what? I, I already know what they're going to say. You know, they said, yeah, they, I threw my beer through my TV and busted my TV and everything that day, you know, because they was pulling for Earnhardt, you know. And, and I know I made a lot of fans uh, probably mad that day. But, um, you know, the, the good thing about it was Earnhardt was a true champion, you know, and he was so cool and just uh, just to be around and, and and he took it like a champion, you know. I mean, he you didn't hear him say anything about it or nothing, you know. And 
Um, and I actually told him I, when I first seen him after that, I said, man, I thought you was going to be, you know, pissed off at me, you know, worse than you are, you know? And he's like, no, nah, I wasn't mad at you, man. He only kind of grabbed me in the headlock. And the be best part about it, he said, he said, the only thing that made me mad is all the stuff you said after the race about him, you know, because I, hell, I didn't know what to say. You know, I knew I had to say something because all the fans were throwing beer bottles over the fences. And I mean, they were like, give me hell, you know. So I knew I had to say something. And I, the only thing I could figure out was, I, well, say, use the same thing. He said, to get, you got him out of the Labonte deal, you know, and uh, was about, you know, just want to rattle his cage a little bit. But uh, I think I rattled his fans' cages quite a bit too. But it, it that certainly was a good day. And I always like, you know, going back and watching that, looking at it. And uh, it's pretty cool. Jerry, one thing I want to ask you, talking about Dale Earnhardt and some of those close finishes, certainly another one was the 1998 Daytona 500. And you, you watch back those last couple of laps, and it's you and Bobby Labonte battling for second. You guys are coming to the caution and the checker together. I'm curious, had that race played out green, what was going through your head? What was going to be your plan to try and get around Earnhardt on that final lap? Had that played out well, with the green flag situation? Well, this is going to be funny because um... – that day, you know, I followed Dale all day. I pushed him all day, you know, and I knew he was trying to win the Daytona 500. And I wanted to win too, you know, and I thought, man, you know, this is this is it right here. We're doing good. I Because I knew I wanted to be like second, third, or, you know, somewhere like that instead of being leader now, team up on you and come around you. But um, I had the confidence of my old buddy, Rusty, you know, that, that was supposed to go with me. And I think, you, Dave, you said the best while ago, you know, he and I really didn't work together that well. And, um, but he was going to pull out and go with me. We had a radio, you know, we talked back and forth, this, that, and the other. And, so we're going down the back stretch, and I started easing out a little bit and seeing if he would ease out. He was like, I think a couple cars, car, Carly's back, you know, and um, or I think he's running fifth or something like that. So I'd ease out, and he started easing out. I'm kind of pulled back in, like, well, should I go? Should I not? Should I, you know, go or not? You know, so he's out again like this, and I see him coming. So he's coming with me, you know. So I pull all the way out, and soon as I pull all the way out, I look up like that in the mirror, and he's boom right back in, you know, and and that left me out hanging out there to dry, you know, down the back stretch, and um, uh, so I didn't have anybody to go with me, and I think a couple of people pulled out after that, but. You know, then the caution flew and all that stuff, but it was certainly a good day. And, um, you know, I'm glad to see him win it. You know, he finally got to 500 and all that stuff, but we had a good car that day. We had a really good car and um, just needed that, you know, extra little help and maybe a little more experience would help us that day. So, Jeremy, just to hear you talk about it, you know, it was like, you know, he was the poster child for, uh, you know, now looking back on it. I was just a kid watching it from the outside, watching, right. you know, it was amazing. You know, Jeremy Mayfield, uh, Rusty Wallace, and just all you guys, you know. And uh, right. But, man, from from, from a, a, a guy wanting to be who you guys were and watching it from afar, it seemed yeah. like to me that they didn't like Jeremy Mayfield coming in there. And, uh, you know, Rusty was the man. And, uh, right. and when you came in there, uh, you know, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't even – you know, maybe when you're driving for Roger Penske, the the uh, equipment's all equal. Engineering, technology might have been all equal. But in my mind, uh, you would have thought he would have probably got the best of everything, uh, personnel, engines, everything else. And you still would beat him and was, like, uh, you know, more competitive and beat him in several races. Did you think, uh, uh, you know – I? From what I seen, he didn't like that man. And, and instead of pushing your right. teammate to a win, he'd rather hang you out to dry. You know, it's kind of you know people right. don't know about, about the insides and what happens. You know, when you got right. teammates and stuff like that. But y'all, you should have won that race that day if Rusty would have worked with you. Right. Yeah, and I felt that way. But you know, going back to what you said about Roger, you know, Roger's awesome car owner, and that's the good thing about that whole team over there. And it's still, I'm sure it's that way this, today. It still is. Uh, you know, he allows you to have the best of everything. You know, we, we got whatever we wanted, right. you know, as, as drivers and, and, and teams. And, uh, 
the only thing we did wrong was we had um you know it was it was Cranfus Haas and then Penske Racing over there and we were in two separate buildings when he bought the place and made it turn it into you know Penske Cranfus and we were already building our chassis and all of our stuff so we already were going in the direction we wanted to go in um and then they were doing their own deal you know so it's two separate race teams really trying to be teammates and you know our cars were different in our bodies we did our own bodies they did their own bodies and um we were a prime example of what not to do as being teammates you know we, we were definitely set to uh, standards on what not to do as, as far <laughs> as you know rusty and i for sure but um roger allowed us to have whatever we wanted you know and, and at the end that he had to do what was best and that was to combine the two teams together you know put them in the same shop together and just like he did you know and uh you know from a cost standpoint and everything else because he had you know they had their own motor shop we had ours you know it was kind of two separate deals for a while and um uh, then they start to combine them, you know, together as best they could. And and when you do that, that, that makes a lot of people on the teams uneasy. You know, we had friction going on between the teams and the crew members and the engine shops and the chassis shops and everything, you know, just because of that. It wasn't just Rusty and I. We were just, we were just bitching to each other, just be bitching about it. But <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff. You know, Rusty wanted his cars. I wanted mine, you know. And Steve Levis was building our cars. We had great cars. And Billy Woodruff came along and built supercars for us, you know. And, and I didn't want to give that up, you know, what we had going on, you know. And, I know Rusty liked what he had, and I liked what I had, you know. And and but from Roger's standpoint, he's like, well, hell, I might as well have two separate teams, you know, which is what he what he had at that time. But uh, Roger was just great. I'm telling you, he was, I mean, just awesome a car owner. Everybody in that Penske organization was just the best, and I, I can't say anything negative whatsoever. The only thing I can say about him is that it was probably the dumbest thing I ever did was wanting to to leave there, you know. And uh, because if I had, looking back now, if I had somebody coaching me a little bit and steer me in the right direction instead of let me just, you know, thinking the grass is greener everywhere else because of the reasons that Rusty and I had or right. the problems we had, uh, I would have been there until I retired, you know, hopefully because, I mean, I loved it there. So, Jeremy, along those lines then, um, tell me this, seeing where Penske is now, one of the top organizations in both NASCAR and IndyCar and really just all the motorsports, right. did, are, are you shocked? Like, what, what – what stands out to you, like, when you see the growth of that organization now compared to what they were right. when you were there? I mean, does, does that blow your mind, just how far they've come along? Did you think it was going to get this good? No, it, it didn't blow my mind because I, I know that back when, you know, when we were putting all this stuff together and, you know, he bought our team and stuff, man, that, that guy is like, you, you can't imagine what kind of a racer he is. I mean, he loves racing. He does you know, does everything in the world for you. And, you know, as far as race goes, and it's all first class. And, um, I mean, from anything he does is the, all of our haulers look better than everybody else's. You know, we had chrome on the side of them. And, you know, his airplane's bigger and faster than everybody else's. And just everything about Roger's competitiveness, you know. And, and he's uh, – I, I knew where he was going. You know, I, I knew that it wouldn't be long that, you know, the IndyCar teams, we were going up there, they were coming down here. You know, it was going to be one big deal. And, and uh, you know, I, I – it didn't surprise me a bit, I guess the best thing to say, you know, just because of the way he does things. And, and uh, you know, Hendrick does the same thing. You know, Rick Hendrick's first class and everything he does. But Roger just got a, you know, a lot going on that everything he does and everything he touches is, is really good. So, I mean, I, it didn't surprise me a whole lot to see that. And I'm, I'm surprised that um, – let me see how to say this. No, not really. I mean, you know, he bought Indianapolis, you know, and bought the Indy, Indy cars and all that stuff. I mean, I'm surprised it's not gotten any bigger than it has, to be honest with you. Right, right. Well, so and, and Jeremy, I'm, I'm curious, too, because you started your own team 2009 after bouncing around from a few teams. That makes me curious. When you did start your cup organization, and I, I believe you guys were running out of a shop near your house, how much of what you were doing with Mayfield Motorsports were you modeling maybe after what you had learned at your Team Penske days? 
Right. Um, well, I mean, it's hard to do that just because of the finances, you know, that, that you're limited to, you know, when you try to do something like that. But I, I tell you that there's not a day goes by that something doesn't run through my head somewhere that either Roger Penske's, you know, has inspired me on or, or what I've seen, you know, how he does things. I'm all the time telling people that I'm like, man, that's the way Penske does this. Or that's the way Penske would do that. Just cause he, you know, just, I just, um, admire the way that he does his business and, 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 uh, just very smart about every movie makes. And, uh, you know, I wish I was 10% of what 1% of what Roger Penske was <laughs> as far as, you know, making decisions, doing everything he does because it's really cool. And, um, you know, but I, yeah, I would love to have had something like that, you know, to, to go off of. And I, I still today want to try to race, you know, even these, the cars we're racing, you know, we, we try to do it the best we can. And, and obviously when you're doing things like that, things come back to your mind, like, well, Roger would done this, or he could done this, or stuff look like this. You know, you're just trying to always, you know, keep that standard that he had, and uh, it's hard to do. So, Jeremy, I don't, I know you're still racing, still winning races today, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, and one day you'll sit back and reflect. But there's not too many race car drivers in the world that have that have had the opportunities. You don't get those phone calls to. To drive for Roger Penske, you know what I mean. You ever sit back right. and say, "Man, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's, I mean, I'm sure you can count on, a, on, on our hands, you know, the drivers he's had, you know, to, to right. sit back and reflect. It's like, man, I drove for Ray Evernham, uh, Kel Yarbrough, Roger Penske, man, it, it man, yeah. dude, it, it, I mean, it didn't get much better than Jeremy Mayfield and, and the people you drove for, man. I, I know you're, you're busy and you're still racing, and you're still winning races, but man. Uh, I think when you're when you're finally done, you hang up that helmet, you can reflect. But man, what a career, dude! What a career! Right, right. you know that, that's what keeps me going every day. You know, it keeps me motivated. Is yeah, you know, I've had a great life, I have a great career. Still, still got a lot of great things going on. That's going to happen, and uh, I'm working harder than I've ever worked on trying to get this new thing I got going. on. Hopefully, we'll know in the next you know month or so. Hopefully, I have something to announce. It. It's not going back cup racing or nothing like that. It's just something big that I've always wanted to do, and. And that's, um, you know, go dirt racing and, and just race what I want to race. You know, if I want to go run a, a dirt late model race, super late model race, I can. If I want to go run a pro cup race, I got a car to do that or a modified, you know, just racing short track stuff and and pretty much whatever races we want to run, you know. And I've kind of got myself in position now. We might be able to be able to do that the next, you know, starting the next month or so or maybe for next year anyway and uh, working hard on something now to do that. So that, that, that right there would really make me, uh, I guess you say, fulfill my career if I can end the way I want to end and kind of race them wherever I want to race. And you know how it is, David. It's hard to get it out of your system and and uh, very hard for me when that's all I know how to do, you know. Well, man, judging from the year with the career you've had up until now, uh, you know, we, we you know, I, I would if I was a bet man, I'd bet with you, you know what I mean? Because you've you've right. done pretty damn good for yourself and uh and you know, hopefully these last three or four years, whatever it is you're gonna race, hopefully you, you do it and go out right. like you want to. Uh, man, right. one of the things I wanted to ask you, I mean, you just done so much in NASCAR, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and listen to you talk about, you know, uh, that you didn't really have somebody to really, uh, you know, like you didn't really have a mentor to say, hey, you know, the grass is not always greener with that team or that right. team because you're with the best. But, you know, all y'all you want to do is just win races, you know, and, and uh right. Looking back on it, you know, who was some of the people, maybe uh, team owners, crew chiefs, maybe drivers that that were kind of a mentor to Jeremy Mayfield? You know, that, that was there was somebody that 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 you raced with hard that, you know, that was 
right. you could talk to about you know chassis stuff racetrack lines stuff like that who who kind of uh who kind of did that you know who was that person for jeremy mayfield right. you know there, there was a lot of people you know that that i counted on you know but what i meant earlier when um you know a lot of racers do all the drivers try to help you you know you can go to talk to any of them and and uh, they'll help you do things like that. But Bobby Hamilton, you know, helped me a lot getting from Nashville uh, to the Cup Series. You know, even with Saddlers, you know, he was helping me a little bit. And and uh, we kind of worked together good. And Bobby's a great, you know, was a great guy. And uh, so he, he was one of the key people in my career that helped me get there. You know, that last little step you need to get there. And and knowing, by knowing him, you know, and, and uh, working for Saddlers, I got to know Robert Yates and Jack Roush and uh, Ernie Elliott, you know, Bill Elliott. I started knowing all these guys before I even started driving, you know, in the Cup Series. So, that helped me a lot right there, you know, but the thing I made earlier is like, you know, I wish I had a, a, not really a manager or somebody like that, you know, just something that somebody that you can really respect their, you know, that's with you every day, you know, like a, like a dad or figure or an uncle or somebody, you know, but not, not your dad or uncle, but I'm saying somebody that was right beside you that you could count on saying, you know, help lead me along the way. You know, I'm sure Jeff Gordon looks back at his stepdad and, you know, which has done a great job for him, you know, and, and uh, you know, leading him along the way. And, and everybody's got that person that does that, whether it's your family member or not. But uh, I was kind of on my own. You know, I left Owensboro, went to Saddlers and made those – and was making all my own decisions along the way. And uh felt like I made all the right ones. I just didn't – you know, you just think when you start making all the right ones, people around you are telling you what you want to hear all the time instead of, you know, what you're really doing wrong, you know, and you know how that goes. And yeah. uh, the better you start running, then you think it's all – you know, you think you got a lot to do with it, you know, as a driver because you're, you know, running good and winning races and this, that, and the other. So it's very easy to get uh, – let your mind and your your own little cocky self go the wrong way. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think we've all done that. And you see that a lot, a lot in sports, you know, a lot of uh, athletes and stuff do that, you know. And uh, sometimes, you know, you got to have somebody pull you back a little bit and say, wait a minute, just calm down here and take it easy. And, you know, I was always just wanting to go, 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 and, you know, move here and let's go over there and race and, you know, just – making all bad decisions at the end of it, but uh, not really bad, but just, you know, it could have been better. And uh, I think if I had any advice to give any young driver out there that's trying to make it would be that, you know, listen to put somebody around you close to, to help steer you in the, in the right ways and making all the big business decisions, you know, because, I mean, I'm not a businessman here. I'm sitting there, you know, doing great and thinking you are, you know, I'm thinking, well, I got this world, you know, it's all perfect you know everything's going great well it's easy to be on top of it for a while then all of a sudden one thing happens boom you're knocked off top of it and then right. it's hard to get back up there you know so, so. so Jer jeremy uh with this being close to the start of the nascar playoffs what used to be known as the chase uh, what, what a time to bring you on let's go back to 2004 and that richmond race i mean you, you made the move from pinsky over to everham bill Elliott was your teammate then casey kane and that was Kane's right. rookie year, and uh, you had to win to get in the chase, and that was a different format back then. And you guys, yep. with your backs against the wall, got it done. Tell us uh, about everything that led up to that night and how you guys pulled that off. Yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, that week, you know, all that week at the shop and stuff, it's weird because, um, you know, it all happened like it did. It all looks great now. But I remember that week, you know, talking to the pit crew and all this stuff, and all we had to do was was – you know, sit on the pole, uh, lead the most laps, and win the race. You know, and then we were, we were in That's for it. sure. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, you, know, you, you just can't go do that. You know, I'm coming home, and my wife's like, man, it's going to be tough to do. You know, Shane was telling me all this and all that. You know, I'm like, not, we're going to go, you know, sit on the pole, lead the laps, lead the laps, and win the race. 
and I, and my whole crew was like that. We were just like set on focused on doing that, you know, and, um, it's weird because we got there and everything started going good. We didn't sit on the pole, you know, we qualified like, I forgot where it was now, but, um, I know we didn't sit on the pole and our car was decent, but wasn't that good or obviously, but what in practice, we needed to make it better. So everything started looking, you know, going downhill from there, you know, after qualifying, but we just kept working on it. And, and it's just a fun weekend, you know, um, I didn't feel a lot of pressure. My guys didn't have a lot of pressure on them and we just knew what we had to do. And, and it's just, it just worked out, you know, and then we, you know, won the race and it looked like heroes like we knew what we were doing and we really didn't do anything different than we've been doing all year. Just, uh, other than not feeling the pressure, you know, just going to racing and pretty much having a good time and, uh, staying focused and, and it just, everything worked out just like it should have. And, you know, we ended up making the, the chase and all that stuff. And, and it looks like, um, you know, I tell this story, it looks like, oh yeah, we had it made no problem. We we're going to show up, win the race, but that's hard to do in the cup series, you know, and at that time, especially just, to. To lead the most laps and win, and and Dave, you know how hard it is to win in anything. It's hard to win these go karts out here, let alone <laughs> cup race, you know. So um, to do that was pretty cool to do that. And um, uh, you know, looking back, that was one another one of my highlights of my career right there too, you know. So, man, uh, just, just something else, and, and then getting it done the uh, the way you guys did uh, that night. What was uh, what was it like afterwards? What was the reaction like the sigh of relief i mean i'm sure that you were you guys were excited but then at the same time you're like oh we got a championship to go chase now right and uh yeah that was that was cool part too and it's great night you know afterwards you're just celebrating and this that and the other but i can remember going in monday morning and, and ray called me to his office and, and uh he had this look on his face like you know i thought we, you know i'm walking up there like real proud stuff you know like we're gonna have a good conversation here but he had this look on his face like he was mad about something you know and uh, so he sets me down in the office and he goes, man, you know, everything went good over the weekend and everything's looking good, you know, and the way he was talking, I was like, man, what do I do now? You know, and he said, man, you didn't say Mountain Dew on, on after you won the race, you didn't say Mountain Dew. And, and that, they, they called and they're pissed off, you know, because he didn't say it. But I took a full Mountain Dew, Derek, right in, right in Victor Lane and turned it up, you know, showing that this is what I'm drinking right here at Mountain Dew, you know, right. thinking I did a good job and, and I just didn't say it. And so it don't matter how many you win or what you do, it's still – same old thing on Monday morning, you know, you're going right back at it and, and get serious again and trying to, you know, fix all the problems you may have had over the weekend. And that was one of them. So it lasted about what Saturday night to about Monday morning. And then everything was back to business again, but certainly a lot of fun while it lasted. So Jeremy, just, man, you've had such a great career in NASCAR and man, just, you beat some of the best in the business and winning the races you won. Uh, you know, what a, what are some of the biggest highlights? What is one of the biggest highlights for you? You know, those cup wins are hard to, hard to, hard to get. And like you said, man, when you win them, it's it's amazing. Right. But you know, from a Jeremy Mayfield's perspective, uh, maybe share with us and some of your fans some that just stand out, some you know, big moments in your career. I mean, because you've had a hell of a career. Right. Yeah, I've had a I had a bunch of them. You know, I mean, it's like I look back and every win that I've had from day one, you know, whether it was in the late models at, you know, Whitesville, Kentucky, or uh, moving to Nashville, right, you know, driving for Saddlers and uh, this, that, and the other. And I got to, hang on one second, they're giving me the keys. Everybody's wrapped up here. Thank you. See so, uh, uh, we got everything going. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about now. Uh, that's, <laughs> well, they just run our A-main, by the way, too, so we missed it, but that's all right. But uh, <laughs> no, I've had a lot of, a lot of good, um, Things happened in my career along the way from, like I said, winning all the cup races that we won, sit on the pole. It just seems like everything you do, you know, anymore. But then when you stop winning, you're not winning, everything's going bad. Like, you know, we came back and won 
about a month ago in the Grand National Series for Bob Shock, his series, and that felt like winning the Daytona 500. So, you know, I've gotten such a, uh, I don't know how to say it, just um, up and down career, I guess you'd say, but you know how it is, Dave. When you start winning, man, no matter what it is, it's just a good feeling, you know, and and, and I feel like, you know, looking back, there wasn't really one any bigger than the other ones now, but at the time, it just seemed like it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. Then you, then, you know, about Spindell and Hart out, went poking, oh, that's huge, you know, and then <laughs> go to, you know, then go to move from, you know, the uh, Kales to the Penske Cranfus, you know, and then from there to Everham's, you know, running for Dodge, you know, and sitting there going, man, here I am driving for Dodge, you know, and, and I love Dodge too, by the way, and uh, they were great people to work with and just, Unbelievable, you know. I, I sit here and have a whole story about the Dodge deal, you know, how good it was and, and all the people involved. And uh, you know, just I don't know. I just had a lot of a lot of good highlights in my career and and we'll someday hopefully write a book about it or you know, list them all out, lay it all out and show with somebody, you know. But uh it's it's been a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeremy, I think one thing that kind of gets overlooked, I mean, all those accomplishments that you did, all the things you've done in NASCAR. You did enter right. that foray where you were a driver and owner. Not many drivers actually do that and take on the entrepreneurship part of the sport. So, I mean, when you look back on that venture that was Mayfield Motorsports, I mean, you guys were running a shoestring operation. You make the Daytona 500 on a Cinderella story. When you look back on that <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> what's up? So that was another big one right there. I forgot to tell you all ago. About, you know, all the big parts of my career was that one right there is huge. You know, didn't even bring it up, so. Yeah, I know the Mayfield Motorsports thing. I mean, when you look back on that, like realistically, how how big were you thinking Mayfield Motorsports could get with the organization, multi-car organization? What were, what were you thinking was going to be the trajectory there at Mayfield Motorsports? Well, you know, I, I was at the point in my career where I was like, you know, I need to do something. And, and I felt like that, um, um, you know, at the time, you know, I was kind of, not blackball, but just at the point where I, I couldn't, you know, get in, couldn't get another good ride that I wanted, you know, and there's a lot of things were happening, you know, and um, so I had big, you know, big, I guess you said big vision for, it, but I certainly knew what it was, what it took to do that, you know, it takes a lot of money and a lot of people behind you and, and a lot of hard work. I mean, you got to work hard at it. And so when we first started that deal. That was, you know, we had all good intentions. It was just, um, but yet realized how tough it was going to be, you know, but you know, we showed up, you know, made the Daytona 500, which we pretty much had to, or we probably weren't going to be in business after that. You know, that's one of those deals where uh, you got to make Daytona to, to make everything else work out. And so we've done that. And, and uh, you know, then it got tougher, you know, from after that, you know, we missed a couple of races and this, that, and the other, but then everything else happened after that, that kind of, you know, shut it all down. But I felt like that we were on the right track. And um, from what we were trying to do, you know, or, or accomplish, um, I was wanting to switch back over to Dodge and, and had that pretty much uh, done deal. You know, I was going to get uh, Dodge support and, you know, motors and stuff like that, which would have certainly helped us a lot and had some other good sponsors you know, that was coming on board. And then, you know, everything just takes off. But, you know, as, you know, a lot of racers will tell you out there, a lot of that stuff is, you know, once you start something like that, everybody wants to come on, everybody wants to be a part of it, tell you this, tell you that. And, you know, some of it don't work out anyway. So, but in our situation, you know, everything was looking good at the time until it, until all the, other stuff happened after that. that so, so Jeremy, uh, the way things ended, uh, you know, tell us from your vantage point, kind of what happened, and and uh, you look back, uh, anything you would have done differently there? T take us back to just how that all unfolded. Uh, your your last well, days there in sport. We might have to have another show on that one. That's a long. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it uh, it didn't end very, you know, very good, obviously. And uh, 
but you know, looking back, I wouldn't I wouldn't have done anything different than I did. I made the decision I made to fight it. I, I felt good about it and felt like that's what I needed to do. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't have felt right if I didn't fight it because I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? And what and what I done, I told everybody what I what I took Adderall. You know, and and say it again to you guys. You know, yeah, I took Adderall. I didn't, I didn't know it was a bad deal. I didn't know that it had a bad name or you know I wasn't supposed to take it or nothing else or I wouldn't have taken it. You know and uh, so I had a prescription for it, and I felt like at that, at that time that's what I needed to do, and, and that's the decision I made to fight it. And, and yeah, it cost me a lot. It cost me my career as far as, you know, cup racing. But at the end of the day, I can sit here now and, and realize I've done the right thing and, and, you know, done what I thought was right. Uh, you know, I've not never been one to be able to just, you know, uh, cower down or, or back down or, or you know, uh, take a fall for something I didn't do. You know, I just wasn't going to do that. And, and uh, so that's what – I guess all the lights are going out now. So, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it's just one of those things that I felt like that was, uh, you know, it's time. You know, I get asked that question a lot. Hang on, man, I'll get the lights back on here somewhere. But uh, I get asked that question a lot about, you know, would you have done it differently? And, and I can still sit here today and say no. You know, I would not have done anything different. I did. Uh, and I probably wouldn't have spent as much money on the fight as I did because I realized one thing. I realized you don't fight a billionaire with you know, if you're not a billionaire. So I know that for sure. And, and I, that was a big company. That, that's probably the stupidest thing I've done was spend a lot of money on, on trying to fight it, knowing that I wasn't going to win it, you know, after it all went down. But I had to, I had to go through the motions to figure it out. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still here living and uh, happy and, you know, racing and, you know, helping people. And, and you got a little are we still on here yeah we, we'd lost you there for for a second jeremy yeah, okay okay um okay let's see is he there I'm here. I'm just not sure what's going on here. Okay. I think we got you now. Uh, Jerry, hey, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely do another show with you guys. Whatever we got to do, we'll make it better. If y'all want to do another one, we'll, we can do a whole another episode. Oh, I'll yeah. Sure. We'll, it'll be better. <laughs> we'll definitely have you back, Jeremy, for sure. Uh, let's let's go ahead and uh, we will uh, – anything else, Dominic, uh, before we're, we're ready to move on, you want to add? No, I, I think that should cover. Okay. Well, uh, we will get to – our, uh, our 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 news and notes segment in just one moment before we do today's show presented by Ticket Spotter. Ticket Spotter is the official ticket resale marketplace of Huawei Technology Raceway. With David won in two thousand four, fans can also get tickets to any type of event, including sports, concerts, and theater productions. Ticket Smarter is committing to helping those in need by donating one dollar for every transaction to various charity organizations. Mm -hmm. Head over to TicketSmarter.com to find tickets for upcoming events. That's ticketsmarter.com. Dom, uh, you have the news and notes this week. What's happening in the NASCAR world? Well, let's talk a little bit about the Watkins Glen race and just the significance behind some of the drivers that are going to be making the race this weekend. We used to talk a lot about road course ringers, and I know Jeremy raced against some of those, like Ron Fellows and Scott Pruitt. We're going to have even more this weekend. NBC Sports is reporting that for the first time in NASCAR history, we're going to have seven countries represented among the 39 starters in the cup race. That includes Kimi Raikkonen, F1 champ from Finland, Daniel Suarez of Mexico, Loris Esemans of the Netherlands, Mike Rockenfell, who's driving for Spire this weekend. He's from Germany. Daniel Kvyat, who's also going to be Loris's teammate. He's from Russia. 
Kyle Tilley, who's run some races for Live Fast Motorsports, is from the United Kingdom. And oh yeah, the rest of the field's from the United States. But guys, we have a lot of variety. And I and I think the biggest And Daniel Suarez from Mexico. <laughs> and Daniel Suarez from Mexico. Yeah, did yeah. mention him. But the Project 91 for Team Trackhouse, having Kimmy in their 91 car. Guys, I'm really looking forward to this debut. I think it's it uh, is he gonna be in for a wake-up call here, David, or is he gonna put a, a clinic on on Sunday? Well, I mean, it, I think it's going to be in for a wake-up call. But, you know, I, I just, you know, all, hearing all these different companies that are represented in our sport, uh, you know, it just tells you how popular NASCAR racing is in America. When you got former F1 champions and other, you know, champions uh, from other series uh, from across the pond, I mean, it just goes to show you how intrigued the whole world is about what we're doing here in America. And NASCAR racing – I mean, it just goes to show you, man, in Formula One, it doesn't matter. People want to come race in NASCAR, but I do believe that uh, they're going to get a big wake-up call on how good, you know, all the guys are, uh, you know, our regular superstars in the Cup Series. But uh, but it's interesting. It's cool to see uh, these guys come from other forms of auto racing from other countries uh, to participate in NASCAR, and, and uh, it's going to be cool to see them out there competing. Jeremy, uh, what's your reaction to uh, this wide variety of uh, drivers that we're going to see uh, at Watkins Glen this weekend. Well, you know, I, I see that a couple of different ways. You know, I look at it as um, I'm thinking if I was NASCAR and I'm trying to get the sport back where it's at and, you know, and I'm, I'm going the direction we're going in, you know, would you rather, I think the fans here in America would say that they would rather see Dale Earnhardt's, Ricky Rudd's, Bobby Labonte's, Dale Earnhardt Jr., you know, and the list goes on, Ricky Rudd, you know, just all the guys that were there before. Jeremy Mayfield. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, me too, right. And uh, David Starr, you know, the, I think that I think that's what they're missing, you know, I, and I, and nobody's has, has, has told them that, I guess. You know, I, I think if you wanted to – you could pack the place at Watkins Glen or anywhere you go to if you brought, if you just brought back all those drivers, just the drivers, and put them right back in the cars instead of all these people from, from Europe and whatever you just said, you know, all the different countries – you know, bring back to your American people that, that you had before. Let them talk. Let them have their personality. Let them be themselves and have and have a little bit of an accent. You know, they've taken all the accent out of there, the southern accents out of the garage area, it seems like. Let them let them be themselves and, and race. Then you'll have what you had in 2000, 98, you know, 2001, on back, you know, up until that point. And um, when you start putting uh, drivers that can't even, you know, speak English, you know, uh, just my opinion on, on on TV driving race cars in America, you're not going to get American fans too much. I, I'm my opinion. I, I know you're not going to get a lot of the southern ones around here anyway, or Kentucky. You know, so uh, the fans have spoke up and told them, and now they're leaving the sport. And now, you know, they're they're pushing this F1 type IndyCar type stuff down down their throats, and I don't think people like that. And I think that uh, my opinion is one of the biggest problems with the sport right now. The personalities are not there, and you don't. And and the more you put in this the other countries, you know, other drivers coming in, which is great that they're coming in racing, but if, if it's going to help the sport, but I'm not sure that's what's helping sport right now. Yeah, um, it, it's an interesting idea, you know, uh, Dom, I mean, we look at where the, the sport is trying to go and, and grow in all this. I mean, F1 has been so successful, you know, in, in the rise that they've had the last couple of years. It feels like yeah. kind of what what Jeremy's talking about here, NASCAR's been trying to play catch up of sorts, trying to beat F one right. at their own game time. Right, you're not going to beat you're not you're not going to beat them at their own game. That's what NASCAR doesn't realize. Those guys got 
big money from, you know, all these di other different countries because they don't care about coming over here American racing, you know. They don't care about NASCAR, what NASCAR wants to do. They're doing their own deal, th their own business model, the way they're doing it's working for them, you know. And uh, they've got big companies that are supporting that and uh, big sponsors that support that, you know, and a lot of money's in that sport. But I don't think you'll ever get that racing here like like NASCAR. NASCAR needs to go back to what NASCAR was, have their own model, their own, you know, way of doing things and, and not trying to uh, – you know, go into a direction that that's already failed in this country several times, and uh, but they keep doing that. And I'm probably wrong about all this, and it's just my opinion. But I think I'm, I hear from a lot of race fans a lot, you know, about every day, and and I hear a lot of people bitching about it, and they're not watching racing anymore because of of the direction they're going in. And you would think that, yeah, I know y'all are laughing because a lot of people can't say this kind of stuff, but you know, they're going they're going down a road that that is obviously not the right road. You know, when you start taking uh, putting segments in the races and making them, you know, timeouts and, and all this stuff that football and baseball has, you know, it's just not, it's not sticking ball, it's racing, you know, it's, it's stock car racing at, at that, you know, and it's, and it's built from, you know, I'm probably fighting for, all, fighting for all the people in the past, you know, that's made the sport what it is too, you know, because uh, it's just totally different than what they're, the road they're trying to go down and, and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I'll probably be sitting here next year thinking, I wish I never said that, you know, but uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that ride that bus with me and, and feel the same way. Dominic, uh, what else we got? So are we seeing maybe Eric Almirola reconsider on his retirement? Racing Boys is reporting that maybe Almirola is having second thoughts. Recall that Eric had announced that maybe at the end of 2000, 2022, rather, that he'd be stepping away from the sport full time and maybe would entertain part time rides. But when pressed on the issue, and he's been pressed on it, it seems like on a weekly basis, <clears throat> excuse me, he had said, I don't know, we're still talking about it. There's a lot of factors, moving parts, a lot of people involved in the decision-making process. He says that he's one small part of it, and he's been listening, and he's been a part of discussions, and we'll see. But, guys, I don't know. I don't know if we have a clear front runner to have a replacement in that 10 car. I mean, we would have probably thought Ryan Priest was that guy at the beginning of the year, but maybe Almirola is back in 23. What do you guys think? It's an interesting situation, David, because um, you have Smithfield that came on board to the 10 car with Almirola from Richard Petty Motorsports. So there's an established relationship there. Stuart Haas had, I mean, before Kevin Harvick's wins these last two weeks, their performance has not been as good the last couple of years. And then you have Ryan Priest involved. Cole Custer is still in an organization and hasn't performed great. And then, of course, there's also the Kyle Busch factor as well, with Kyle Busch being a free agent and, you know, the, the whole deal with Gibbs not being able to find sponsorship and such. Uh, with that right now, I would I would say that the, the betting odds probably changed. I would, you know, Eric Almirola is probably the favorite to be back in that 10 card next year. Man, I, you know, I'm curious to hear Jeremy's thoughts on this, but man, when you got a major sponsor like Smithfield and, and, and their engagement and their involvement in the sport and they're passionate about and they love their driver, you know, that's a, that's a good marriage from a sponsor driver standpoint. Why would you step away from that? Well, you know, the Stuart Haas organization has, you know, they're a little bit behind since this new next gen car has came into play. But it looks like to me they've been doing – they've been catching up here last couple of months. And to see Kevin Harvick's two wins the last two weeks, I mean, I don't know. Eric Amarillo, I, I don't know why you would want to leave that. Yeah, I mean, you got a next-gen car, something new. It looks like the Stuart Haas team. I mean, 
you know, this thing, it's always evolving, you know, one year, you know, two years, you're on top of the world and the next year you're struggling, you know what I mean? But it looks like they're kind of coming out of it. And you got a major sponsor that wants you to still participate. They want to support you with an organization like Stuart Haas. I mean, I, I think even Jeremy Mayfield drove for Gene Haas, if I remember right. But, man, right. You, you're talking about, you know, that guy's passionate. He wants to win. Uh, Tony Stewart. I mean, why would you step away from that? You know, I was really shocked for him to announce that, hey, that 2022 was going to be his final year because, you know, he's so young. And uh, man, it wouldn't surprise me if he if he uh, stepped back and said, "Hey, I'm gonna race another year." Why wouldn't you? You know, we want to win. You want to race, and and Jeremy will tell you. I'll tell you, man, to have the funding behind you and a sponsor like that with that organization. I mean, we want to win. Why would you step away from a, a winning a, an opportunity like that? You know, so I think it's. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back. Yeah, I feel the same way, David. When I heard that, I, I was like. Uh... You know, it didn't make sense. You know, I didn't know why he would want to retire so young and, and having everything there. They're just now getting rolling, you know, and really starting to run good. Um, it didn't make sense to me either. So, um, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to race anymore. Who knows, you know, but that, that'd be totally different than what, you know, you or I would be thinking because we're racers, Absolutely. you know. And uh, so I, I don't know, you know, but um, if I was him, I'd stay there probably for a while and, and ride it out and get all you can get and then, uh, and then leave. But that's a little young to be retiring, I felt like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Dominic, uh, I would think in Stuart Haas's case, if they can't get Kyle Busch or Smithfield doesn't want Kyle Busch, Eric Almirola being back next year and with somebody that Smithfield is comfortable with is probably their best option for that 10 car for, for next year. For the short term, uh, if, if Almirola is, uh, wants to race, if they can't get Kyle Busch, that's probably their next best bet. I think so. And, and in a way, it kind of reminds me of the situation in 2005 when Mark Martin was set to retire and he said, hey, I'll come back if Jack Roush can't find another driver for 2006. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a similar situation. Maybe Almirola didn't say that publicly, but maybe he is going to reconsider. Maybe he is back for one more year. And I know one of the reasons he had said he did want to step away was because he still wanted to spend time with his kids while his kids thought he was still cool. So yeah. maybe he delays that one more year to have, like you said, David, another opportunity to run this next-gen car. Stuart Haas is definitely figuring things out. They're looking really, really good. Maybe we're not seeing the last of Eric Almirola. Watkins Glenn are coming up this week, as we mentioned, uh, with a big slate of international drivers, most ever in a cup race. Um, let's give some picks for the race real quick. Dominic, we'll uh, start with you. Who do you got this weekend? Yeah, I feel like it's so easy to pick him because he's run so well, and he and Chase Elliott go neck and neck. I'm not going Chase Elliott. I'm going Martin Truex Jr. to get it done at Watkins Glen this weekend. And uh, that would certainly help his uh, playoff uh, situation. He'd be in at that point with the points included. Uh, I'll go with another guy that need, that really needs a win right now and would put him in. He's fourth in points, but uh, needs everything he can on the playoff picture. I think Ryan Blaney gets it done. Uh, one of the best road course racers out there. David, how about you? Man, I mean, how can you go wrong with Chase Elliott? Seems like every road course race this year, he's been, you know, either won it or in the top three. So I'm, I'm going to pick Chase Elliott. And uh, that's my pick for this week. I think Kevin Harvick, and I've been picking Kevin Harvick every week for the last <laughs> two months, you know. And But man, on the road course, I think you're going to see Chase Elliott come to the front and win the thing. All right. Jeremy, uh, who are you watching for? Who do you think is going to get it done? Uh, I'm like David. I got to go with Chase Elliott. You know, I, I like Chase a lot, and Bill, and all those people down there. And they, uh, uh, he's been real good, and, and probably be hard to bet against him. And 
I was going to say one of those German drivers, but I can't even say their names or who they are. But <laughs> I, 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 I would almost bet anything that uh, they're not going to win the race, any of them. So, um, you know, which are, whoever their names are. But I, I think Chase Elliott definitely for sure. I didn't hear you guys pick any of them either. So, I'm obviously pretty confident on, a, on the American way here. Okay, well, let's go around the room. Who do, who's going to be the best road course ringer this week? And who's the highest finishing foreign driver? Dennis Suarez. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Suarez, yeah, Suarez is the only yeah. foreign driver that has a shot to win. Yeah. Uh, you say I, I'm going to go right? against the grain. I'll say Kimmy gets it done as the highest finishing foreign driver. What's his last name? What's Rick his name? Him? I'm probably butchering. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Rocky or something like that. Yeah, I know him too. Yeah, he'll probably he'll probably be up in the top five somewhere. <laughs> Jeremy and I are are, are in the greens then, so yeah. I guess Tyler and David say it's Dan Suarez. Uh, yeah. Yeah, David, speaking of road course ringers, uh, you're off this week. Andy Lally is in for you, and I know that as a spectator, like we 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 love Andy around here. You know, great guy, a good road course racer, friend uh, of the show, friend of the show, and everything. As as frustrating as it may be to step back sometimes, I'm sure it's cool just to be rooting on Andy, knowing that he's going to do a good job. Man, you know, I, with with the situation and buying the racing school and, and just looking at the, the, the road courses, uh, you know, I, I chose, I just thought it was the best thing for our racing team for me to step out and get, I get to spend a little bit more time at my racing school, my business, uh, you know, and it's, it's hard to watch, you know, and Jeremy will tell you, it's hard to watch somebody else yeah. drive your race car, you know, but that was the decision I made oh, yeah. before the season started to step out of the car for the road racing uh, races. Uh, so it, it's cool to have Andy Lally driving our car. Hopefully he, he'll do a phenomenal job because he's a phenomenal road racer. He's awesome. Uh, but it's still hard to watch, you know, but I hope he'll put our 08 Ford uh, Mustang up near the front, maybe win the thing or just get a great top five finish would be awesome. Yeah, we'll be rooting on Andy for sure. Uh, best of luck yeah. for the uh, Let's Go Racing I, I, game. I, I would have left David Starr in. That's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if, I, if I don't get off here, you guys, I'm I'm fixing to be locked in here. They're, they're already everybody's gone. They're, they're turning the lights off. Okay, we're I, we're gonna be done. We're gonna be done one more second. To, we got. I don't want to tear the gate down to get out of here. You know. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey, Jeremy, man, thanks for joining us, buddy. It's been a, been an honor, man. Honor to have you on our podcast, dude. You've had a hell yeah. of a career, and uh, dude, it's it's what an honor it is. So, thank you. Well, thank you guys, and, and anything I can do for you or whatever you need to do, if I'll do another one, that'd be great. We can uh, have, a, have a little bit different background on me right here. We can see me anyway. So. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys, all of you, and I appreciate it, and I um, wish we had more time. I'd sit here forever and talk, and uh, it was great. Great night. Oh, buddy. Have have a we'll get you back on. Still, I still don't know where we finished that. I'd find that out here in a minute, but well, uh, <laughs> hey, man, that's already over. So anyway, but anyway, you guys have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thank you. There you have it. Jeremy right. Rayfield joining us. Uh, on a Let's Go Racing this week. So we didn't get to have him for our uh, Ask David segment, but we covered so much, Dominic, that um, I think most of the questions we got were pretty much answered in that interview that he was there with us. You know, what, what he did, what he did, Jeremy didn't get to share with the fans was he was at Milburn, Milburn, I think I'm saying it right, uh, a little dirt track there in, in, uh, in Mooresville, North Carolina. Uh, uh, helping a friend of his son that's 12. When we were talking to him before we came on air, it's like, man, how cool is that to be 12 years old and have Jeremy Mayfield as your coach, your mentor? That was amazing. You know, I asked Jeremy, hey, man, 
when you were 12, could you imagine having Buddy Baker or Bobby Allison or even Richard Petty as your uh, coach? You know what I mean? So uh, that's where he was. He, uh, he was at Milbert uh, Dirt Track uh, there in, uh, I think it's in uh, Mooresville, North Carolina, not too far from our SS Greenlight Racing Shop. So, and, and David uh, and Tyler, I believe Brexton Bush races there. I believe he's a regular. Oh, there. absolutely. Larson is as well. So definitely some of the future NASCAR stars race there as well. Absolutely. But it was cool to have Jeremy join us. And, and uh, you know, he was sitting in a pit area and they were, shut the lights off. We saw it when they turned the lights off and he said, hey, man, they're locking the pit gate. If I don't go now, I'm going to be stuck in here. <laughs> so that was cool to to have him, uh, uh, you know, join us from there. So a uh, pretty, pretty neat deal. What an interesting guy. He had a great career. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, it was interesting uh, for him to kind of share a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit of the uh, around the end of his career, what had happened, you know, it was kind of interesting. You hear uh, you hear rumors and this and that. And I think he 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 uh, he tried to clear it up. You know, I think so. Was, and yeah, and, and like uh, the two things that stick out to me, guys, and I was telling David before we got started on the show for the listeners. The, the ones that stick out to mind, Mayfield Motorsports, like what, what could have been with that team and starting that team from the ground up and where that could have gone. Like, And at that time, starting parking was prevalent in the sport. Was that in the cards or was more sponsorship? And it sounds like more sponsorship was on the way. And I, I didn't know there was an alliance there with Dodge in the works. And the other one that came to mind, too, is everybody talks about the Pocono win. But the, I think one of the lesser highlights, but he's always shown on TV and TV highlights with Daytona 500 or Speed Weeks coverage, Mayfield in that 12 car. Beating and banging fenders with Bobby Labonte coming to the line with that caution flag with Dale Earnhardt winning the Daytona 500. And I was curious what his strategy would have been had that race gone green if he would have had a chance to, to get a, a run on Dale Earnhardt there on the final lap. And he did share a little bit about that. So it was really cool to hear some, some behind the perspective on that and what Jeremy had to say. Absolutely, man. And just, you know, uh, you know, to, to drive for freaking Kale Yarbrough and, and Roger Penske and, and Cranifus Haas, was it Cranifus Haas, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and had Penske by the organization and, uh, you know, obviously teammates with Bill Elliott, Rusty Wallace, and then to get the phone call from uh, Ray Evernham when he when he started his own cup team with Dodge. I mean, Jeremy Mayfield, I mean, you don't you don't drive for organizations and people like that not having the ability. So, you know, I just remember Jeremy always being a front runner, always being contention to win races, you know, and uh, and, he, he, you know, he was he was always friendly and nice to me uh, towards the end of his uh, career with, when all the stuff happened. I don't even remember all the stuff that happened, but. Uh, you know, it was just a shame he couldn't have finished it out like he wanted it to, but what a great guy. I'll say this, too, um, and I know that this segment's kind of taking a, a different turn. Instead of Ask David this week, we're kind of just uh, giving our afterthoughts of the interview because we never hardly get to do this type right. of thing like this. And, yeah. and uh, what, what stood out to me, guys, is that, you know, Jeremy Mayfield is one of a kind, right? He's always stated his mind, and he's always been authentic. He's always been who he says he is. And, I mean, you go back to the Ray Everham, Aaron Crocker stuff in that situation to how things ended in his NASCAR career. And then we see, asking him about just road course ringers. And he opened up with a take that I don't think any of us saw coming <laughs> yeah, uh, that no. we probably all disagreed with, but right. nonetheless, that's his opinion. Yeah, he's right to have right. that opinion. Um, that's who he is. And whether you love him or you hate him 
And I don't blame you if you're either way. I like Jeremy myself, not just because he came on the show. I've always respected his attitude and everything. But whether you love him or you hate him, I think you have to respect Jeremy Mayfield for sticking true to who he is. Now. I do. And he's never wavered from that. Even all the stories he has said over the years, he's never wavered from what he's had to say. And I think he said it best. He's authentic. And and there was – I got to give this guy a shout-out. So when we were taking questions for the show, I'm potentially asking Jeremy for – ask Jeremy's segment and ask David's segment. Brandon Black had put on Facebook, is he cool with the phrase pulling a Mayfield to make the chase? I, I chuckled when I saw that because that is so true. You even hear that present day. If somebody wins their way into the playoffs at the last minute, they are Mayfielding into the chase. They are Mayfielding into the playoffs. And I think that's so cool. Almost 20 years later that yeah. that still holds true. I mean – Guys, Truex could Mayfield his way into the playoffs over the next couple. For maybe somebody else that we're not even talking about right now. And what I love about just hearing Jeremy share his, you know, a lot of his stories with this is that just the true hard racer. He's just a racer, you know. And uh, like he said, he don't know anything else. He's at a racetrack right now, a dirt track there in, in Mooresville, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, he just says, man, I just – I want a dirt race. I want to continue to race. And uh, he's just a, a hardcore racer. That's all he knows, you know. And uh, But he's had a great career, and it was cool to, and fun to, to have him on our, our, on our podcast this evening just to hear some of his stories. Yeah. 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 No, I agree with that. And I think another thing that gets underplayed, and I, and I think this goes for any driver. David, you certainly have this perspective, too. Anybody that can go and try to start a team, too. You're racing at NASCAR's top level, any of the top three series. And you go on to try and start a team like how Jeremy did and that entrepreneurial shift. Because, I mean, let's be honest, most drivers have those entrepreneurial skills, but to actually act on that like how Jeremy did, I think that's something that deserves a little more spotlight and credit because we know that's not easy. It, starting a business is not easy in general, but starting a business as a NASCAR team, certainly a hard endeavor. And that's well, what he undertook. And to add to that, what he did, although it was short-lived, it was way different than what we typically see of driver owners now. Tony Stewart was handed a 50% stake of what is now Stewart Haas Racing. You know, Brad Keselowski was handed a 30% sta 33% stake of what is RFK Racing. You know, I mean, Mayfield started that thing with nothing. You know, I mean, like, that is very unique. So very good point, I think, there yeah, absolutely. On, uh, on your part, Dom. Um, guys, uh, as always, uh, make sure to subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Wednesday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Check us out uh, on social media, facebook.com slash starpodcast, Twitter at David Star, at, at Star Podcast, and uh, by email, davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Dom, uh, what do you have going on this week, my friend? So I'll be staying here in New Mexico. We're going to have Kyle Stevens, our photojournalist at the track, at Watkins Glen International, he shoots great photos for us every time he gets to the track. So we know this weekend will be no exception to that. But I'll stay here in New Mexico this weekend, enjoy some time with family and friends, and we'll see where the weekend takes us. How about you guys? Uh, you're off this week, but uh, that always means what? Family time <laughs> and is your words being a husband? <laughs> well, I, you know, just, you know, I got lots going on. We've got a couple racing schools uh, at the Texas Motor Speedway at one Thursday and, and uh, I have a little one on Saturday. Just got, you know, just we have stuff going on. We're busy. Thank God. And uh, preparing for all that, trying to trying to catch up on being a dad and a husband, like I always say. But uh, 
we'll be focused on on our how our uh, you know our tickets our 08 Ford Mustang ticket smarter uh, car Brett Bear special report car is doing uh, with with uh, Andy Lally and just keeping up with uh, what's going on there at Watkins Glen. It's uh, again you know to not be there at the racetrack is tough. You know even though I'm not racing. Uh, so uh, it'll be a fun weekend of racing. It's exciting, and uh, looking looking forward to getting back into race car at Daytona. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I am uh, here in uh, Dallas this weekend, uh, but the NFL preseason is off and running, so I'll be covering all over that, and uh, still balancing time to watch uh, my NASCAR this weekend as well. So should be a lot of fun, boys. Uh, hang on, hang on, top. Go ahead. So, Dom, I think the Jones, what do you call it? The Jones what? The Summer of Jones. The, the Summer of Jones, Jones, right? Isn't it the, the Summer of Jones has been officially canceled? No. Okay? It's <laughs> the Fall of Jones. It's the Fall no, no, of Jones no. then. No, no, no. We, we're finishing strong. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, no. I, I got to hop in a race car before the end of the Summer of Jones then. <laughs> I know. All right, that'll work. So it's not officially canceled yet until he, till after he drives a race car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I go yeah. 200 miles an hour, then uh, maybe I've had enough summer of Jones. There you there go. go. And Tyler, you were telling me right before we got on air earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, but before we started doing the show. So may not happen with the Team Texas School, but you have another offer in the works to drive a race car? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my guys, uh, uh, the – the folks, uh, Rusty Wallace or Richard Petty, so it's one of those driving schools, you know, they, they told me, yeah, yeah, you can come by anytime, you know, yeah. <laughs> he, he's fixing to be canceled off our podcast. There, so. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. But no, 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 no. The, the only place I'd be driving now is with teamtexas.com. Awesome. Uh, check it out. There. Likewise. Um, Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> we will put the checkered flag out in this episode of Let's Go Racing. Big thanks to Jeremy Mayfield for joining us. Uh, you, the listener, for stopping by as well. For Dominic Argon, David Starr, and Tyler Jones, thanks so long. This is another edition of Let's Go Racing. We'll see you next week.